0: Hello, my name is Ashley Balin and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I've applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. On this episode, I'm joined by education consultant, Danny Seligman. We talk about how imperative it is to match both kids and dogs with a learning environment that aligns with the individual, strategies to prevent overstimulation and promote self-regulation, as well as the importance of resilience and kindness. Enjoy! Okay. Well, thank you again for doing this with me. I know we've been trying to do this for, what, three or four months now? And then, <laughs> and then you went and had a baby.
1: I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So selfish. Such a you know, little ones, right? Yeah. And,
0: and then we had to have, you know, a pandemic. So
1: yeah,
0: it took a little longer than we expected to, to be able to record together. But I'm, I'm thrilled that we're doing this now.
1: Me too. Thanks so much for asking.
0: So let's just start with the basics. What is your name and what do you do professionally?
1: So my name is Danny Seligman and I'm an educational consultant. I work with my partner, Stephanie, and um, we run something called Kids Collaborative. And Kids Collaborative was sort of born as an educational consultancy where we would work with families to help them navigate different social, emotional, and academic challenges help them find schools, um, things like that, but it's also evolved and now we do that and we also have a homeschooling component where we work with kids who are unable to be in school for various reasons and match them with teachers who run their program until they are ready to reintegrate back into a more typical school environment.
0: Okay, so I want to, yeah, I want to delve deeper into those services in a second, but at first, I just want to talk about in your household. You have how
1: many kids? I have three kids.
0: And what are the ages for your children?
1: Um, my son is will be four in July, and I have a two and a bit year old, which is which is how we met, and yeah. then I have also a nine week old
0: boy wow. right, who's here. <laughs> And how has the three under four experience been going for you so far?
1: <laughs> you know, we weren't planning on the pandemic and being home with all of them all of the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I feel really, really lucky. They're definitely challenging and we've, we have our highs and we have our lows. But it's it's a chaos and it's a great chaos. And the dog turns out to be the easiest one of the bunch. Well, so that that was
0: the next question. So you do you do have one dog, right?
1: Yes, Nash. And, she and is, what breed is Nash? She is what we call a Northern Designer Dog. She is a, <laughs> a rescue. Nash? Yeah, she's a mutt, um, and she's a rescue from an organization called Finding Them Homes out of Barry, Ontario. And
0: they're mostly from Northern reserves. If yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. James right. Bay stuff like that. And how old is she? She actually was 6 yesterday. So she was the first child. She's our firstborn. Well, actually, mm-hmm. she's our second born. We had a rabbit before her, but uh, <laughs> is is the rabbit still alive? Still with us today? Sadly, he has moved on. Oh. Yeah, but um he was the boss and she she liked to just sit beside him and that's how we knew she was just the best. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. it sounds like your work is more or less divided into two categories. So like the the first is matching parents and their children with the right individuals and specialists, so psychiatrists, occupational therapists, tutors, etc. And the other is working personally with parents to determine the best educational environment for their kids based on I guess learning style and temperament and interests, et cetera. Exactly. So so if I compared it, I guess, to my business, the, the former would be equivalent to me helping dog owners find a veterinarian or a groomer or a nutritionist or a dog walker
1: exactly, um,
0: or someone that aligns with their values and expectations. And then the second would be working directly with the dog owners to decide on the best training environment and approach for their dog based on goals and expectations and temperament and energy level and all of, all of those things.
1: Pretty, pretty yeah. much, actually. <laughs> OK,
0: OK. So I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding. So like for a dog, obviously, the training options and educational options are far more limited compared to the hundreds of options available for parents. Mm-hmm. Like dogs basically have a choice between like group classes or private training classes. And then once that's decided, it's just a matter of determining the best teacher and the best training methodology. Yeah. So, of course, there's, you know, other options that would be, I guess, the equivalent of like extracurricular activities for kids, such as like dog sports or advanced obedience and trick training. But the dog training landscape in general isn't close to as nuanced as a child's education is. So I'd love you to walk me through the process of determining the best school environment for a new client and also what kinds of questions you would ask, what you like to learn about a child in advance, and just all the information that you typically collect before making recommendations.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, it's hard to sort of do that because it's all so case dependent and we really do work um, individually with families and with students and with schools. So every case... Um, we take a different approach to that case. Um, But really, I think what it comes down to is figuring out who this child is as a learner, and who that child is in their family, and then who that child is within a school, and kind of figuring out what the most important values are uh, for the family, for the kid, and making that match. Like We really try and make a match, whether it's between the professionals that we are matching students with or the school that we're matching a child to. So it depends what age a student will come to us. And most of the time, they're not coming to us to choose the school that they're going to start at. So they're not coming to us for a JK choice unless um, there are some challenges that have already been identified. But we're finding we have a lot of students that have started at one place and the parents are trying to figure out is, is this sustainable? Can we stay in this environment, or is it time to choose a different, a different environment? So we would speak with the parents, sometimes we would speak with the kid, depending on how old they are and what is happening. Um, and then also we would collect information from the school, the teacher, and whatever other professionals are already in the picture. Then using that information we would present the parents with a couple of choices. So we would have already spoken to parents about the things that they value. For example, um, you know, do they want a school that is one gender? Is there a religious affiliation that is important to them? Um, Things like location even. Is public transport important for them? Will the student have to take the TTC? So those are all things that we take into consideration on top of what learning needs this child has. So there's the, the academic environment that a school offers. There's the social environment that a school offers. There's the different supports that they offer. Things like extracurriculars. Um, you know, if, if parents are looking for a school that can accommodate a student who really is interested in the arts, we would be able to sort of narrow it down a little bit further. So it really just depends on the student and the parents and school and on all of the other factors that are involved.
0: So why is selecting the right school for your child so important? Like maybe I'm just completely misinformed, but, you know, when I was navigating elementary and high school, everyone I knew just went to the school that was closest to their house. And some people had a wonderful school experience while others had a frustrating or miserable one. Right. But we didn't consider that the school environment was necessarily incompatible with the unhappy students. We just assumed that some people loved school and thrived and others didn't. Right. So I guess like what I'm curious about is do you believe it's possible that with the right environment and curriculum or mission match that every child has the opportunity to love school?
1: I do. I do believe that every child could love school. Unfortunately, I think it is such a complicated thing sometimes that not all kids get that experience and get that privilege, really. Um, you know, as you said, there are some kids who just kind of like school. They're, they're a little bit more easygoing, perhaps, or uh, academics come a little bit more easily to them than others. For whatever reason, they just find themselves in whatever environment they were plopped into, and they thrive. But then there are the kids that don't. And, um, you know, that can be for various reasons. As we know, sometimes academics, uh, whether they need to be challenged in a different way or supported in, in a different way, maybe socially the school isn't a great fit for them, maybe they need a little bit more emotional support or smaller classes or Uh, a more arts-based curriculum, whatever it is, they are not able to find it in the environment in which they started. And so that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. We are lucky to live in a city, though, that has really, really amazing options. But unfortunately, not everyone knows about all of them.
0: And would you say that, like, the majority of those options are in a private school environment, so it limits the number of people or families that can access them?
1: So unfortunately, I would say that a lot are, but not all. So there are a lot of options through the public system, but because of limited resources and limited spaces, um, not that many kids get to partake in them. So that's one issue. But then the other issue is that really people don't know about the public options that are actually available. So they don't even realize that, you know, you, you could find a school whose focus is technology or you could find a school whose focus is the arts or is outdoor education. And they do exist through the public board, the alternative schools. Um, but it's, again, it's a process to try and get into them. Uh, which in and of itself is is something that um, is a privilege to to have that information
0: right so th- there's one other thing that I'd, I'd like to talk about in terms of what's on the priority list for both uh, you know parents and children when they're deciding on schools like mm-hmm. so from uh, like the dog training world there are obviously, you know, several differences based on interpretation and personality. But modern dog training methodology essentially falls into one of two schools. There's like balanced dog training, and then there's force free science based positive reinforcement training. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into like the gritty details of both because there's a lot of sciencey stuff involved in it. But essentially, balanced trainers believe in using all four quadrants of learning theory when introducing dogs to new concepts and eliminating undesirable behaviors. So they're using both positive and punitive reinforcement Mm -hmm. while force-free science-based trainers avoid all punitive methods and rely on relationship building and motivation and positive reinforcement. Okay. So through conversations I've had with parents, as well as some child psychologists, um, you know, it seems like respectful parenting approaches like Ella Janet Lansbury yeah. are beginning to permeate the mainstream a lot more, but punitive methods, including timeouts and yelling are still really common. So, you know, do you and the parents that you coach think about the school's response to discipline and what they consider misbehavior when narrowing down options or like Or I guess more pointedly, how high on the priority list is the school's overall teaching philosophy and culture and approach to discipline versus things like amenities and reputation and school rankings?
1: You know, it's it's an interesting question. Um, And again, I'd have to say it really depends on the family and on the student. So, you know, we love, we're, we're easily wowed by walking into a school that has a beautiful gym or has a swimming pool or has... Um, a clean cafeteria or has, you know, any any array of gym equipment that we would love our kids to use. But at the end of the day, um, it's not really what matters. Really what matters is that your child is in an environment that they need. So the same way as I'm assuming, um, I don't know that much about dog training, but that, you know, you find what motivates that that dog you find what motivates that child and what drives them and you have to find the environment that works for them and really the truth is that the environment and the effect that the environment has on the student um when we talk about that environment we're not talking about like the physical aspects of a building we're talking about um the philosophy of the school the philosophy of the teachers and that would include um you know not many schools would call it discipline but it would include it would include their philosophies about managing certain behaviors or motivating certain behaviors is probably an even better way to put it
0: right and motivation is something as as you mentioned that is like very valuable in the dog training world especially if yeah. you are a positive reinforcement, like exclusive trainer, because you're relying 100% on finding that thing that's motivating for your dog in order to get them to respond, you know, in a desirable way.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I you could say people, but I, I guess creatures or animals in general, um, they do well when they feel good. So right. one of the things that we look for the most, especially for kids that have had a challenging time at the environment uh, that they were in before, we really look for schools and teachers that place an emphasis on developing relationships with students. So kids can only learn if they feel safe, if they feel respected, if they feel motivated and challenged, and all of those things take time. So the teacher and the administrators have to really put in time and energy and effort into their relationship with those students before any kind of academic learning can happen.
0: So can you give me just like a quick example? Obviously you can't go into names or Mm -hmm. you might not even want to promote specific schools, Sure, but can you give me an example of a client that you've worked with that was in a school where they really weren't thriving and kind of the process that you walked them through and what the end result was?
1: Absolutely. So um, we had a little boy and he is currently in grade two and was in a school that he sort he had to be in for a number of reasons, mostly because um, it was religiously affiliated with the parents' um, sort of religion of choice. And so we weren't looking at moving this child to a different school. We were really looking to keep him in the environment and see what we could do to support his learning. So he had not yet had an assessment, but all signs were pointing to um, this child being an exceptional learner, so having quite a high IQ. Um, And it came out that he wasn't feeling challenged in school, and the thought was that this was resulting in some poor behavior choices at school. Um, Parents at home had found ways to manage the behaviors a little bit more than they had been able to at school, but they'd also found what motivated him. And so what we were trying to do was help the school put into place a program that would help motivate this child so that he would feel good and not feel like he had to um, cause trouble in order to get attention or in order to escape the work that he didn't want to do because he wasn't feeling motivated. So we worked with the teacher to develop um, an an enrichment program for him. And we developed the program. We presented it to the school. We talked about how it could possibly be implemented. And, of course, because we are third parties coming into another school, um, it's essential that they're on board and that they agree and that they – change the program to suit the needs of their school. So we were able to do that. And we were also able to support the family in going for some assessments and testing that we felt would really help them learn a little bit more about what this child needed. And so they were able to do that and the behavior and academic assessments came back. And then we worked with the family and the school to take those recommendations, to choose a few of the most important ones, and to put them in place at home and at school. And so then the next step would be monitoring those uh, those recommendations. So which ones are going really well, which ones are leading to change, and which aren't. So if something is not particularly effective, that's okay. Let's swap it out for something else and see if that leads to positive change that we're looking for. And that's sort of the step we're on right now with this particular family. Unfortunately, obviously, they're not in school right now. So that's been a bit of a hiccup. But we're hoping when we go back, we can start strong with the information that we have. um, Because he really was making a lot of progress and a lot of change.
0: And I have two questions, actually. The first is, so at what part of this journey do you get involved? Are you there from the very beginning helping with setting up assessments and, uh, you know, setting up meetings with the administration of the school and doing everything? Or do
1: you kind of come in like halfway through the like, how, do, how does that mm-hmm. work? So it really depends. It depends why we were brought in, and it depends who brought us in. So sometimes we have a parent who calls us based on a recommendation from from a peer or they found our name somewhere else, and they're calling us really at any stage in the process. Sometimes they are just completely lost about where to go next, but they already have an assessment in hand, um, in which case we would use the assessment in order to help us direct them but sometimes they are faced with a child who they feel like should be doing well in school for example and just isn't thriving in that environment and we would then come in and help figure out why and that might lead to the recommendation of getting an assessment or of you know even even matching the child with a reading buddy or or a tutor just to help build their self confidence so again it's really really different based on every every client. Um, we're brought in at all different times. Sometimes the school will bring us in to help a family who they feel needs supports that they can't offer, um, specifically for resources that are outside of school, whether it's um, different occupational therapists or speech and language therapists or social workers. You know, we've had students come and we've matched them with great um, martial arts programs just to help build self-efficacy skills for them. And are you – I mean, I know
0: that you have a a newborn baby, but Mm -hmm. are are you still working now um, amid the newborn phase in addition (laughs) to COVID? We are. We're still working. Um, So what are – I mean, I guess by the time this episode airs, I'm hoping that we'll have returned to some type of normalcy because we're looking at a couple months out at this point. Yeah. But, you know, what what sort of services have you offered for parents now that they're being confronted with a situation they that's completely unprecedented and they're being right. asked to essentially homeschool their children?
1: Right. So, you know, as I mentioned before, we actually do homeschool several students um, who have not been in school this year for various reasons or for part of the school year for various reasons. So this is actually something that's not totally new to us. Um, and one of the things that we've been doing is taking our tutoring services and our homeschooling services online. So we do virtual one-on-one tutoring with students, but we also have developed some programs that are a little bit more accessible and we do small group uh, learning environments. So we have some math clubs for kids of all ages. And the way that works is parents will um, get a few of their, their child's peers together and we would do a math club for them based on where they left off in the school year We have uh, a book club going right now for grades six through eight. Uh, They're doing a a Harry Potter book with a focus on mental health, which has been extremely interesting. We have some reading series happening for younger kids, readers clubs, all sorts of different things. And so we're trying to be able to support parents who have obviously been given some stuff from their schools some schools have have created a much more intense program than others Um, and that way we're able to support students and keep them engaged right now and then of course we also are still working to support parents by helping them find the professionals that can help their kids with all of their non-academic aspects of life as well So, what do you? I mean, I guess my
0: understanding of homeschooling—I've never been homeschooled, so I don't Mm -hmm. really understand the process. But I do know that it's, you know, far more involved than simply just teaching your child at home, right? Mm -hmm. Like the like homeschooling is something that both parents and children prepare for months in advance. They're still following a specific curriculum. They're typically part of a homeschooling community that still goes on field trips and socializes and has regular, um, you know, activities and events outside the house. And it's a very involved process. So the fact that people are being given this distance learning package and information and being informed that they're now homeschooling is kind of, I guess, unfair because it's assuming that this is what homeschooling is when in reality this is just chaos right
1: right i mean um, it's it's e-learning it's emergency learning it is not homeschool um it's it's really different i think also just so parents know they shouldn't have to i don't want any parent to feel like their child's education is really resting on their shoulders and i know parents do feel like that right now but what we can do that's best for our kids right now is keep ourselves firmly planted on the ground um, and take care of the emotional needs of our, of our families because happy and grounded parents are much better able to care for their kids than, than stressed and, um, you know, emotionally volatile parents.
0: Yeah, of course. And that's another thing that is very similar to the dog training world as well is that, You know, dogs often reflect the emotions and like physical and mental state of of their owners. And I know that children are very similar, that they're, you know, highly empathetic and sensitive and absolutely and suck up the energy of whatever is in their household. And you know, that's kind of what I've been saying throughout this process, although, you know, I'm not an expert at anything pertaining to children or parents, is that I feel like all of these kids will be all right as long as they know that their parents are, you know, as stable and secure and stress free as possible.
1: Yeah, and that they're loved. And the truth is, the rest of the stuff will come. Right? They'll catch up with whatever math they missed, with whatever reading they missed. Um, because everyone's in the same boat, right? Exactly. Exactly. And as and as you know, I mean, a lot of what we a lot of what we learn is built upon what we learned before, and is you know we'll we'll catch up. It's going to be okay.
0: And children are getting so many learning opportunities at home that they would have never been able to access in an academic environment as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, like I in in addition to obviously resilience and patience and, and all of the those many, yeah. you know, important life skills and emotions, you know, you, I'm seeing all these things on social media about kids that are just learning basic life skills, whether it be gardening or baking or they're exercising or hiking or, or doing basic things. And I know many teenagers that can't, you know, even do their own laundry. So maybe this is now going to be that period of their lives where they learn all of those important basic day to day skills.
1: I mean, that would be pretty glorious, don't you think?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well I'm trying
1: to be a little optimistic about this. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's just little little moments that we can take and I just I feel like parents have so much on their shoulders that, you know, you see these schedules online, even myself, and I, I come to this with a background in education, obviously. Um, I see all these schedules that people have created for their kids and You know, they have learning time, and then you have these kids sitting down and doing all of these worksheets and crazy art projects and stuff like that. And if that works in your home, then that's great, and you have to do what works for you. But if that doesn't work in your home, that's okay. My kids spent two hours playing with earthworms in the dirt today, and I don't feel bad about it for a second.
0: But you shouldn't feel bad about it, because I actually think that's far more valuable than a lot of the things that are being taught in school. (laughs)
1: That's a different a different talk. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Okay. Before I before I let you go, there's something fun that I like to do with all the guests that I have on this podcast.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so I'm gonna read you an email that I've received from a client with a question that is dog related. Okay. And I'd love to know how you would respond if you received this email from one of your clients contacting you about their child. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Hi, Ashley. I was hoping that you might be able to provide some insight. I have an eight-month-old puppy. We've completed a basic obedience class and done some private one-on-one sessions with a trainer. I'd like to continue doing group classes so she has the opportunity to socialize with other dogs. She absolutely loves learning and doing the training when we're at home, but the problem we face is that when we're in a room with other dogs, all she wants to do is play. She's extremely distracted and unable to focus on any of the training exercises. I suppose I could just continue doing private training sessions at home, but thought you might have a suggestion as to how I could take her to group classes, but get her to focus more on me. Thanks so much. So, so let's assume that a parent has reached out to you regarding like a four or five year old. Mm-hmm. And they're not in the school system yet. So the parents want their child to have the opportunity to socialize with other kids in like more of a structured environment. Of course. But whenever they enroll in a class or go to a drop-in, their kid gets so overstimulated and excited that they can't focus on any of the activities or their parents and they just escalate and lose their mind. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the parents are concerned that their kid is not only losing out on lessons and activities and socialization, but also as kindergarten approaches, they're worried they won't be able to thrive in that type of environment. So what would you suggest to those parents?
1: Absolutely. So I think, honestly, the first, the first thing is that we also have to have um, realistic expectations of what is reasonable at certain ages and in certain environments. And for a lot of kids who are five, um, some four still... Going into a kindergarten classroom or a puppy training class in this, in this situation with lots of other peers their age, with bright things on the wall, with lots of noises happening is going to be really overwhelming and that's okay. So that's probably the first thing I would say. The second is that, again, we have to practice in short increments um, so, going into those environments just for a little bit of, of time without overstaying and without the puppy or the child getting too overstimulated, we would want them to have a little bit of success. So, making sure everything was right, you know, as, as right as it could be before. Um, so, making sure that the child is has had a good sleep the night before. They are well fed. They're they're calm before entering the environment. We've sort of let them know a little bit about what was going on and what was expected. And then we go in and we let them do a little bit of time there. And as soon as we start to see them, that energy building to a negative, we would say, okay, it's time to leave. Um, so that would be one thing. And then the other is really starting to learn what is creating that overstimulation in that child. So every child, really, you know, different sort, of different environmental factors will play a bigger role. So is it the sound? Is it the visual? Um, is it the other kids? Whatever it is, figuring out what is really creating those feelings of overstimulation and trying to control those factors so much as we can. We're never going to be able to control an environment. Really, um, but again, just waiting for that child to to develop it's 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 a really big thing. We have to have reasonable expectations of kids um and sometimes they bounce off the walls <laughs> yeah no i'm I'm silently like smiling
0: and laughing over here while you're talking because everything that you're suggesting is like almost identical to how I would respond to this person relating to a dog right <laughs> so like you know from my perspective you know i would also suggest a few separate things the first would be you know to make sure that the dog has opportunities to socialize with other dogs of course but in like a less structured and overwhelming environment Mm -hmm. So as opposed to going to like, you know, a a group training class or a drop in for toddlers or preschoolers that has 10 or 20 or 30 kids or puppies, instead try to, you know, set up structured playdates or walks with a friend or family member's dog that might only have one or two dogs that are there. Absolutely. So that they still have the opportunity to have positive interactions and socialize but in a calmer setting, and then you could gradually introduce them to busier environments with larger numbers of dogs. So they have, you know, exposure in a more controlled way.
1: Absolutely. Um, You're building upon those skills, right? So we, you know, in our world, we would say, okay, well, let's start with some one-on-one tutoring, for example, to really build the skills. Um, But that one-on-one tutoring isn't really effective in a big group environment because behavior is different, because learning is different, because motivations different, all of those things. Um, so then we would have, you know, our small groups, right? So three or four kids. And then, I'll, you know, you you build, you scaffold, and you develop those skills until that student or that puppy is really ready to be in that environment.
0: Exactly. And if you have, you know, a dog or a child that isn't going to daycare every day, which is typically overstimulating then they and they don't have that regular exposure, then naturally they're going to be overstimulated when they do suddenly see a large group of children or a large group of dogs because it's like going to an amusement park, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, also as you said, to make sure that, you know, the child is calm in advance of entering that type of environment, I would also suggest with, you know, any dog owner to make sure that they have a healthy outlet to release any excess physical or mental energy prioring like prior to entering the environment that you know is going to be overstimulating for them. So, you know, if they signed up for that class, that you might want to take them for an hour walk beforehand or do like some basic training exercises at home so that any pent-up energy or boredom that they have would be released before they go into that environment.
1: Absolutely.
0: And then I guess the last thing that I would recommend, and I think this might be a little different for kids, but correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) is that dogs don't generalize information. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you teach a dog to sit or to lie down or do some trick at home, they're not going to understand at first that the same verbal cue should elicit the same behavior in a different environment. Right. So if you ask a dog to sit at home and they sit and then you ask them to sit at the park when they don't. Perform the same behavior. It's not because they're not obeying, it's because they actually haven't processed that that word means the same thing in two different locations.
1: Okay, I did not know that about dogs. Hmm. Interesting.
0: So, whenever I'm introducing basic commands to a dog, I always ensure that obviously they're reliable in a quiet place with no distractions, and then purposely build on those distractions and locations that we practice in daily, understanding that we're essentially starting from scratch every single time we switch locations. And then once your dog is reliably responding to the same command in 10 different places, then it's, you know, a safe assumption that they'll be more focused and ready to follow direction when you do enter those overstimulating environments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I often hear from dog owners that contact me and say that their dogs have selective hearing or that they are stubborn or that they, you know, purposely don't listen. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that they just haven't been taught to follow direction in different environments. Right. So um, I wonder if that's similar with children that at home they might because of the routine might understand that, you know, they have to, you know, that they behave a specific way when they're doing certain activities, but then when they do those same activities in a new environment, they don't understand that the expectations might be the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's it's a pretty complicated, nuanced question, but at the end of the day, I think that kids are so smart, and they really do figure out what is acceptable in different environments. And they know that different people have different expectations, um, and different environments have different expectations. So what's acceptable um, when you're with your parents may not be acceptable when you're with your teachers, right? Um, you know, we often, we often get reports of how students behave at school, and the parents will say, Well, you know, they're never like that with me at home. Or, you know, I think of even myself who sometimes I'll go into my son's daycare and say, You know, he's acting up, or he's doing this, or he's doing that. And, you know, they'll report back and they'll say, Well, he never does that here. Um,
0: right. Well, because- it's like the, the ongoing joke with any parents that have kids in daycare is that, like, at daycare, they eat everything and sleep perfectly. And then at exactly. home, they don't do either?
1: <laughs> It's so true. They do, you know. Yeah, and I, peer pressure is a real thing. It is, and it's so valuable. They eat so many vegetables. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But I, I do, I do think that behaviors, you know, can be generalized, but kids are also able to figure out what really is expected of them, and sometimes push those boundaries, right?
0: Well, and as you said, I think that the the human world in general is a lot more nuanced than, you know, than the dog world is because we have specific expectations that our dogs have to behave um, in a certain way, regardless of who they're with, where they are and what they're doing. Right. While human beings are far more, uh, I guess, like adaptable and far more intuitive and understand that they kind of, you know have to change their behavior and manipulate their themselves and the people around them in different environments in different ways. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it, it is very different because your relationship, you know, a lot of your behavior is based on your relationship with the people that you're with.
1: It's true. But I, I do think, I guess, one thing that we can generalize is that we, there are things that we always want to be, right? So, you know, while sometimes you can be loud and sometimes you can be quiet and sometimes you should be still and sometimes you should run fast, we always want to be kind. We always want to be empathetic. We always want to be resilient. There are is that are right. there. Um, you know, no matter what environment my children are in or whatever environment my students are in, I always want them to be kind to others and I want them to listen carefully and i want them to be aware of their surroundings but sometimes that looks different so it would look very different um on a soccer field than it would in a library if that makes any sense of course yeah of course okay well thank you
0: thank you so much for talking to me i really appreciate it
1: thanks so much for having Uh, me. this was really fun okay good so if people want to find you where can they find you you can check us out at www.kidscollaborative.com. Um, and we're really happy to answer any questions that you have, especially now we know that so much is unknown and parents and kids really do need support. So we're, we're around for whatever you guys need and you can check us out on Instagram too.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to be in touch with you in the next six months because as I figure out what school we're going to be going to next year I have a ton of questions
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm here okay good
0: I Perfect. am definitely going to be in touch with you
1: and I will be in touch with you about the dog I, I have and the dog, dog I want
0: <laughs> Yes, exactly because you just what you need to do right now is add another dog to your household it's
1: it's true we we love the chaos but um That's why we need professionals like you to make sure we don't uh, bite off more than we can chew, right?
0: Thanks for listening. Are you looking to add a dog to your family? For a limited time only, listeners of Baby Puppy will receive 10% off our unique mutt making package. Let us help you find the right breed, energy level, and temperament for your household based on your experience, expectations, routine, and personality. We always say there's no such thing as the perfect dog, but there is definitely a perfect dog for you. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, child or dog related, email info at you your mutt.com. follow us on facebook and instagram at meet your mutt or visit the website at www.meetyourmutt.com remember this podcast is just a baby or puppy and as they say it takes a village so please rate and review happy parenting baby puppy is hosted recorded and produced by me ashley Balin. production assistance by koji nagata and theme song by pink distortion music